0: chapter thirty of sons of fire by mary elizabeth braddon this librivox recording is in the public domain mambu qua mungu footnote it is god's trouble in the footnote one had been taken that which seemed to geoffrey Warnock inevitable in the history of african travel had been accomplished the dark continent had claimed its tribute of human life africa had chosen her victim not the expected sacrifice she had chosen her prey in him who had dared the worst she could do not in one pilgrimage but in long years of travel who had looked her full in the face and laughed at her dangers and had wooed her with a masterful spirit telling her that she was fair stepping with light careless foot over her traps and pitfalls lying down within sound of her lions drenched with her torrential rains tossed on her chopping seas blinded with the fierce glare of her lightnings always her lover her master her champion there is no land like africa there is nothing in life so good as the wild free day of the wanderer he had said again and again and now he had paid for his love with his life. he had laid himself down like mark antony at the foot of his dead mistress he was gone and the two young men were alone in the wide wilderness among the mountain paths between the great lake and the far-off western sea and in long pauses of melancholy silence by the camp-fire or in the sunlit veranda, geoffrey looked into the face that was like and yet not like his own and thought of the woman they both loved and of that duel to the death which there must needs be when two men have built all their hopes of happiness upon the love of one woman a duel of deadly thought if not of deadly weapons if we go back it will be to fight for her love he thought to fight as the wild stags in the mountains fight for the chosen hind forehead to forehead forefeet planted like iron antlers locked clashing with a sound that is heard afar off yes we shall fight for her the battle will have to begin again we shall hate each other wakeful and unquiet in the deep dead silence of the tropical night he would sit outside hut or tent mending the fire looking listlessly at the ring of sleeping porters listening mechanically for the quack of the night heron or the grunt of the hippopotamus coming up from the river the loss of patrington's cheery companionship had wrought a dark change in geoffrey's mind and feelings while patrington was with them there had been ever-recurring distractions from dark brooding on the inner self Patrington was eminently a man of action practical matter-of-fact and love-sick dreaming was hardly possible in his company he was as energetic in conversation as in action would argue and philosophize and quote his master of fiction and dose them with pickwick and weller as he dosed them with quinine he was gone and in the deep melancholy that had fallen upon the travellers after the sudden shock of bereavement geoffrey's thoughts dwelt with a maddening iteration upon one absorbing theme they had left the poor village of beehive huts near which their comrade lay at rest under the great sycamore they had travelled slowly ten miles in a day at most up hill and downhill, by jungle and swamp too depressed for any strenuous effort geoffrey still weak after his attack of fever and harassed with rheumatic aches after his night of reckless wandering in marsh and wilderness in peril of being devoured by the panthers that abound in that region they were not more than fifty miles from the great lake and now they were delayed again by the illness of some of their porters and perhaps also by their own listlessness a hopeless inertia that follows a great sorrow a state of mind in which it seems not worth while to make any effort they had lost their captain and guide but they had their plans all laid down plans discussed again and again during the rains at Ujiji. after a good deal of talk about going south to Niasa and back to the east coast by the route they had finally decided on following Trivier's route to stanley pool and there to wait for the steamer the idea of crossing the great continent from east to west pleased the younger travelers better than that notion of doubling back to the more civilized region the arcadia of Nyasaland, a place of christian missions and flocks and herds and prosperous homesteads and frequent steamers but now life in the desert had lost its savor and allan and geoffrey looked over their rough sketch-maps dully and wished that the journey were done wouldn't it be better to turn back and take the easiest route by nyassa and the shire allan asked despondently no no we must see the congo what should we do if we went back to england have either you or i anything that calls us back to civilization and its deadly monotony geoffrey asked watching his companion's face with eager eyes no there is very little my mother would be glad to see me back again it seems hard to desert her now she is left alone and mrs Warnock, her life is just as solitary she must long for your return oh she is accustomed to my rambling propensities yes lady emily would be glad no doubt and my mother would be glad but at our age men don't go back to their mothers if you have no one else to think about if there is no other attraction you know there is no one else allan answered with a sigh the amati was not silent in those dreary evenings amidst the smoke of the fire that rose up towards the rough roof of the hut where the lizards disported themselves among the rafters and rejoiced in the warmth the voice of the fiddle was as lugubrious as the wailings of the native women for their dead funeral marches beethoven chopin berlioz all that music knows of sadness and lamentation were geoffrey's themes in that solitude of two the music itself had an unearthly sound and the face of the player sharpened and wasted by illness and by grief had an unearthly look as the firelight flashed upon it or the shadows darkened it while those lonely days wore on allan began to have a curious feeling about his companion the consciousness of a gulf that was gradually widening between them a something sinister indefinite indescribable it would be too much to say that he felt he was with an enemy but he felt that he was in the presence of the unknown he woke one night turning wearily on his arab bed the mat spread on the ground which use had taught him almost to like he woke and saw geoffrey sitting up on his mat on the other side of the hut his back against the wall his eyes looking straight at allan with an inscrutable expression was it dislike or was it fear that looked out of those widely opened eyes why fear what's the matter allan asked quickly have you just awakened from a bad dream no life is my bad dream and there is no awakening from that only the change to dreamless sleep what were you thinking about then life and death and love and hate and all things sad and strange and cruel do you remember livingstone's description of a buquana chieftain's burial his people dig a grave in his cattle pen and bury him there and then they drive the cattle round and over the spot till every trace of the newly filled in grave is obliterated we are not as candid as the Bukwana men we put up a statue of our great man or at least we talk about a statue but in six months he is as much forgotten as if the cattle had pranced and trampled over his body primrose day belies your cynicism primrose day a fashion as much as the november bonfire of all the people who wear the beaconsfield badge three-fourths could not tell you who beaconsfield was or how much or how little he did for england do you remember something else in livingstone's book how the tribes who met him said give us sleep it was their prayer to the possible wonder-worker give me sleep jeff i'm dead beat why we did nothing yesterday a beggarly eight miles perhaps it was the thunderstorm that took it out of me well sleep away the tribes were right there is no better gift would it help you if i played a little very softly i have a devil tonight which only music will cast out yes play but don't be too lugubrious my heart is one great ache without moving from his mat geoffrey stretched a thin hand towards the fiddle-case that lay beside his pillow opened it noiselessly and took out the amati. then with his haggard eyes still fixed on the reclining figure opposite him he drew a long sobbing chord out of the strings and began a nocturne of chopin's delicatest melody played with exquisite delicacy the very music of sleep and dreams i am talking to her he murmured to himself softly across the great continent across the great sea over burning desert and tropical wilderness my voice is calling to her i am telling her the story of my heart as i used to tell her in the dear days at discombe the dear unheeding days when my beau talked to her half in sport when i hardly knew if the wild thrill that ran along my veins meant a lifelong love the music served as a lullaby for allan and it soothed geoffrey whose brain had been overcharged with hideous fancies as he sat up in his bed listening to the ticking of the watch that hung against the wall and looking at his slumbering companion darkest thoughts thoughts of what might happen if this throbbing brain of his were to lose its balance he had been thinking of the narrow wall between reason and unreason and of the madness that may come out of one absorbing idea where did a passionate love like his end and monomania begin was it well that they two should be alone together with only these black beasts of burden he thought of one of the men a grinning good-natured looking animal the best of their porters of whom it was told that setting out on a journey with one of his wives he arrived at his destination without her it might have been his honeymoon he explained that wild beasts had eaten the lady but it was known afterwards that he had killed her and chopped her up on the way anger jealousy convenience who knows the man was a good servant and nobody cared about this episode in his career was murder so easy then easy to do easy to forget a great horror came over him at thought of the deeds that had been done in the world by men of natures like his own by despairing lovers by jealous husbands by men over whose ill-balanced minds one idea obtained the mastery and under the dominion of such ghastly fancies he looked forward to the journey they two were to make a journey that all told was likely to last the greater part of a year alone together seeing each other's faces day after day each thinking the same thoughts and not daring to speak those thoughts each with fonder and more passionate yearning as the time drew nearer when they should meet the woman they loved each knowing that happiness for one must mean misery for the other friends in outward seeming rivals and foes at heart they were to go on journeying side by side day after day lying down beside the same fire night after night waking in the darkness to hear each other's breathing and to know that a loaded rifle lay within reach of their hands and that a bullet would end all their difficulties it was horrible i was an idiot to undertake the impossible to believe that i could be happy and at ease with this man if i were to go home alone she would have me he told himself it was only for allan's sake she hung back so tender so over scrupulous lest she should pain the lover she had jilted if he were to go home alone was not that possible without the suggestion of darkest iniquity if he could go home and gain say half a year before his rival reappeared upon the scene would not that half-year suffice for the winning of his bride if she loved me as i think she loved me and if she as as noble of nature as i believe her to be two years of severance will have tried and strengthened her love she will love me all the dearer for my wanderings and if allan is not there to remind her of his wrongs to appeal to her too scrupulous conscience i shall win her to go back alone to divide their resources to divide their followers and each to set out on his own way useless such a parting as that for allan might be the first to tread on english soil the first to clasp suzette's hands in the gladness of friends who meet after long absence if he were to be the first she might deceive herself in the joy of seeing a familiar face and think she loved him and give him back her promise in a fit of penitent affection there are such nice shades in love she must have had a certain fondness for him it might revive were i not there revive and seem enough for happiness i must be first i must be first and alone in the field he hated himself for the restless impatience which had made him join fortunes with allan what had he to do with the rejected lover he who knew that he was loved they crept slowly on allan was ailing and unable to stand the fatigue of a long march through a close and difficult country that week of watching beside patrington's sick-bed and the agony of losing that kindly comrade had shattered his nerves and reduced his physical strength almost as much as an actual illness could have reduced him he felt the depressing influence of the climate as the days grew more sultry and the thunderstorms more frequent all the spirit and all the pleasure seemed to have vanished out of the expedition since the digging of that grave under the sycamore their day's journey dwindled and their halts grew longer at the rate they were now traveling it would take them a year to reach the falls they had left ujiji more than a month and they were still a long way to the east of Kasango, the busy center of arab commerce and population where they could make any purchases they wanted refit for the rest of their journey or perhaps make a contract with the mighty tippoo who would provide them with men and food till the end of the land journey for a lump sum while patrington lived they had looked forward to the halt at kasongo with keen interest but now zest and pleasurable curiosity were gone and a dull lassitude weighed like an actual burden upon both travellers both were like spiritless and even geoffrey's raids in quest of meat were neither so frequent nor so far afield as they had been and his men began to lose something of their admiration for him he was growing over-fond of that creaky cree of his over-fond of sitting in the veranda talking with that curious tricksy spirit now drawing forth sobbing cries like funeral dirges now with frisking flickering touch that danced and flashed across the strings with hand as rapid as light with fingers that flew and eyes that flashed fire these wild dances were grasshoppers he told them and when he began the wailing music that thrilled and pained them his makololos would lie down at his feet and entreat him to change it to a grasshopper we hate him when he cries they said of the fiddle we love him when he leaps and dances and you would follow him and me anywhere across the land geoffrey asked laughing down at the brown faces anywhere if you promise us your guns at the end of the journey two days later allan succumbed to the feeling of prostration which had been growing upon him during the last four or five stages of the journey and confessed himself unable to start it was in the freshness of dawn the mists were creeping off the manioc fields and the wide stretches of tropical foliage beyond the patch of rude cultivation the brown figures were moving about in the pearly light women fetching water children sprawling on the rich red earth their plump shining bodies only a little browner than the soil happy in their nakedness and dirt placid and unashamed the porters were shouldering their loads the lean long-legged mongrels were yelping the frogs croaking their morning hymn to the sun i'm afraid it's hopeless allan faltered, as he leant against one of the rough supports of the veranda, wiping the moisture from his forehead i'm dead beat i can't go on unless you carry me in a litter and that's hardly worth while with our small following you'd better go on to cassango jeff and leave me here till i am able to follow if i don't turn up within a few days of your arrival you can get the chief to send some of his men to me with a donkey if there's one to be had the villagers will take care of me in the meantime it isn't fever you see holding out his cold moist hand to his friend it's not the mukunguru this time i'm just dead beat that's all there's no good fighting against hard fact jeff mambu kwa mungu it is god's trouble one must submit to the inevitable Geoffrey looked at him curiously leave you to these savages in the country no that would be a beastly thing to do he said with his cynical laugh i'm not quite bad enough for that allan how do i know they wouldn't eat you they've been civil enough so far but i believe it's because of my fiddle they take me for a medicine man and my little amati for a capricious devil that can give them toko if they don't act on the square i won't leave you like that but i'll tell you what i'll do we'll divide forces for a bit i'll leave you the larger party and i and my makololos will go and look for big game allan crept into the hut and sank down upon his mat while his comrade was talking he had hardly strength to answer him he lay there white and dumb while geoffrey spread the blanket over him and wiped his forehead with a silk handkerchief do what you like Jeff," he murmured and do the best for yourself i don't want to spoil your sport he turned his body towards the wall with an obvious effort as if his limbs were made of lead and presently sank into a sleep which seemed almost stupor my god muttered geoffrey looking down at him is he going to die can death come like that as if in answer to a wicked wish he went out and talked to the men giving them stringent orders as to what they were to do for the sick Musangu. he was going on a shooting expedition with only four men the rest a round dozen would remain with the other musungu and nurse him and take care of him and obey his orders when he was well enough to move and above all not attempt robbery or desertion as they the two musungus had letters from the sultan of zanzibar to nizigu the arab chief at kasango and any evil treatment would be bitterly expiated you know how small account the white arabs make of a black man's life he concluded yes they knew he went back to the hut and to the store of Quainai, and other drugs and he prepared such doses as it would be well for allan to take at fixed periods and then he instructed the leader of the porters a zanzibari who had been with burton and afterwards with Stanley, as to the treatment of the sick man he was to do this and this once twice thrice between sunrise and sundown the division of the day by hours not having yet been revealed to these primitive minds say how often are you hungry in the day and how often do you eat three times then every time you are hungry and before you sit down to eat you will give the musangu his medicine one of the powders as i put them ready for you mixed with water as he has often given them to you and if you forget or don't care to give him his medicine evil will come to you for i shall put a spell upon the door and wicked spirits will hurt you if you don't obey me after this he called his makololos and one of the wyamweses for whom he had shown a liking and who worshipped him with a slavish subjugation of all personal will-power he told them he was going on a hunting expedition that might last many days and they must take baggage enough to assure themselves against being left to starve upon the way he counted the bales of cloth the bags of beads brass-headed nails brass wire and he set apart about a fourth of the whole stock and with these stores he loaded his men and so in the full blaze of the morning sun this little company went out into the jungle turning their faces eastward towards the mountains that rose between them and the sea of ujiji chapter thirty